0: Hi, we had a very lively debate on Upfront on Monday night between farmers who are worried about the latest decision by the European Commission on the nitrates derogation and how you know what that was going to do to their livelihoods and on the other side people concerned with uh, the environment and the impact that intensive farming is having uh, on water quality and biodiversity and on Ireland's ability to meet our greenhouse gas emissions targets. To dig into this a little further, I am delighted to say that I am joined this week by uh, Evie Nihulon, who is a currently associate professor in the School of Mathematics and Statistics in UCD. But of course, you'll also know her as a broadcaster and as a Kerry woman. I know her as a former Rose of Tralee. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we're talking to her today, uh, this week for the podcast, because she chaired the Citizens Assembly on Biodiversity Loss. Um, so... Uh, Even you will have had all the expert evidence before you in relation to exactly what we were trying to get to the heart of on Monday night. What did you learn say, first of all, about the state of our rivers and our lakes at the Citizens Assembly? Well, Thanks
1: for having me um, on to chat with you, Katie. I think maybe the first point to, to highlight in the work of the citizens assembly is that we really looked across all sectors we weren't just focusing on agriculture and we weren't just focusing on freshwater. however they were two prominent sections and i will say that the fresh water section that we had was one of the most depressing of all of the meetings that we had people came out of that and uh, you know we had a number of speakers we had voices from the community and people came out of that and went into lunch nearly crying, like it was the lowest energy that we had in our room of 99 members because they didn't ever understand before the state of our fresh waters in Ireland. And just to give like a top line summary, you know, you would discuss this, you have discussed this on on Monday. But the fact that 50 percent of our freshwater systems in Ireland are in poor or deteriorating condition. And I think that in and of itself is a phenomenal statistic and one that kind of catches you and go, hold on, what happens if it gets worse? And um, to put some other numbers on it, the fact that we had 500 pristine rivers in the 1980s and now we have 32. And if we talk about species freshwater pearl mussels who live to over the age of 100 and they're extinct in many other parts of the world but they are here in Ireland they're in 67 sites across the country 66 of those are polluted so when we think about the scale of the damage that has been done it is very overwhelming and it's very depressing now in that and we learned about you know the the state of the water and in different parts of the country it's actually in better condition than in others and i think we need to keep that in mind as well but when we hear from the scientists and the various reports that we've had over 30 years unfortunately you know there's a lot to answer for in terms of sewage and in terms of industry outputs but over 60 percent of the damage has been done by agriculture and when i say that i am not Wanting to point a finger at farmers because they have done what the policy has asked them to do, and unfortunately, what policy asked them to do was to maximize production on their farms. And when we had a change in quotas, as in the quotas disappeared, that's exactly what we saw. And we saw farmers change from arable tillage, from suckler farming, etc., to go into dairy because that was the only one that was getting a focus. And now we are dealing with those problems.
0: Okay, so let me just um. Pick over that a little bit in terms of the 60% figure. Is that disputed in any way? Is that absolutely rock solid science that we can attribute 60% of the d- deterioration in our waters to agricultural activity? Now, listen, I am not an expert in water quality, and I would highly recommend
1: people to go and, and speak to those experts in water quality and Associate Professor Mary Kelly Quinn um, is one of those experts. But what you'll see is over successive reports, those figures are there. And That is something that I think we need to be very wary of in Ireland. You know, across the board, when we look at our public engagement and when we look at statistics, analysing our society in general, we are very good at understanding science and taking scientific research and respecting scientific process.
0: In that discussion at the Citizens' Assembly on water quality, was there any fears raised about uh, drinking water? Yes, there were
1: absolutely. Um, and you'll find in the recommendations on fresh water that came from assembly members, you know, they have specifically said there needs to be investment from um, Irish Waters, which is now Ishka Erin. And um, they've said that, you know, we, there needs to be increased resources for a water framework directive implementation. They've said there needs to be increased resources for all of the volunteer groups who are looking after various rivers. And we saw that Um, there needs to be a review of the 1945 Arterial Drainage Act, which is often used now to the detriment or freshwater systems. So there is a plethora, a whole host of recommendations, 91 to 104, related to freshwater and not specific to farming, but also incorporating forestry, incorporating other industries, incorporating motor attenuation pools. So the members of this took a very broad overview of it, but um, keeping in mind, you know, what are the main drivers of this and
0: trying to tackle that then. Okay, now I want to move on to the a uh, wider issue of biodiversity loss, which obviously was the whole uh, basis of the Citizen Assembly. But first, I want you to answer an upfront okay. question for me, <laughs> Uh Give me a number between one and 15 uh, 14. OK, uh, what was the
1: best piece of advice you've been given? Oh, um, I think I would just have to say from my grandmother, there: manners make it the man that you are mannerly to everybody, especially if they're serving you. Um,
0: but yeah, that you're respectful and mannerly to everybody. Okay, that's a good one. Take that one on board myself. Uh, um, Okay, again, biodiversity. So I suppose, you know what? Just can you explain in case there is any doubt now in the most simple terms, (laughs) what do we mean by biodiversity? And why should we be so worried about biodiversity loss? So basically, uh,
1: biodiversity is all systems on Earth and the life that underpin them. And when we talk about systems, we can talk about that on a grand scale so the, the system that is an ocean or the system the ecosystem that is a pond and uh, they're both viable ecosystems because they're hosting life and hosting growth etc and um, so to my a ladybird version of it that's basically um a definition of biodiversity why should we care about it because it is nature and nature underpins everything that we do and we are simply one part of nature and i thought it was really interesting actually that when we saw all of the arguments happening about the eu uh, nature restoration law enormous massive industries like coca-cola ikea nestle normally industries that you wouldn't necessarily associate with being environmentally friendly or green or good for people necessarily but they all came out to say to those politicians please support this because we know that when there is a, a breakdown of biodiversity and no more nature for us to depend on, our businesses will collapse. So we know from the insurance industry that you know when temperatures will get to four, four degrees higher, or if they get to four degrees higher, nothing will be insured anymore. So that's the collapse of that industry. And similarly, so other big industries are making those uh, forecasts. And that's why they understand we have to protect nature, we have to protect biodiversity because we are simply part of it. And I'd recommend highly um, that people maybe look back on a, a talk from Kate Rayworth that she gave to our citizens assembly, but also maybe have a look at the summary report from Professor Dasgupta, who did this enormous report for the UK government, uh, basically talking about the economy and, and why we needed to focus on protecting nature now. So while climate change is a, an enormous issue, Biodiversity is actually a bigger one and I don't want to, you know, panic people, <laughs> but it is because if biodiversity collapse happens, we are less protected from climate action and also it will speed up climate change. So they're so, two sides of the same coin.
0: OK, but I uh, got that. I mean, I'm just that idea that it's actually bigger. Yeah than climate change, because we talk about climate change about 20 times more than we talk about biodiversity loss, but you're saying that actually this is the bigger, more urgent, the bigger one. And actually, if we tackle biodiversity, we will do we will do
1: a lot in terms of uh, actions against climate change. But climate change is going to come now, so we have to adapt for it. And then then we have to start looking at our natural structures and processes and how we can support it. Um, But with that, climate change can be very abstract. And as individuals, you feel very helpless, I think, towards climate change. But the advantage is with biodiversity, you can really see an individual impact on an individual level. If, for example, you took out the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan and you decided, I'm actually just going to plant plants for pollinators, one in three bites of food that we eat depends on a pollinator. So you supporting a pollinator is supporting that food production system.
0: On that, like many, again, we'll go back to the the farmers um, in this debate. Uh, and like I know, I come from a farming background myself. And, you know, if you talk to farmers, a lot of them would see themselves as the custodians of the land that they farm. You know, especially farmers, I suppose, that would have bought into this as well in terms of rep schemes and, you know, you know, various other environmental initiatives under, say, CAP. And they really, really resent the idea that they are, Seen as part of the problem, as part of the 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 you know what's driving biodiversity loss. Like, what do you say to them? Uh, if I was them, I would very much resent it too, because they
1: are the they're the only people who are actually protecting it in another way. But we don't often hear those good news stories. Something that we did in the Citizens Assembly is we invited um, eight different farming groups in to speak with us, and something that came across from the majority of those were was was how much farmers love outdoors and love nature and love their land and love all the wildlife on their land as well and very many farmers actually make investments on their land because they know the benefit of it and they also enjoy it you know one of our members patrick joyce was with me um, to address the joint Diabetes committee on environment and climate action this week and you know he spoke about it that he loves watching nature and wildlife on his farm that he will take time out of his day to do that i mean it sounds like such a privilege to have that, you know, to uh, you know, it, it's something that we should be very grateful to our farmers for, and uh, we we actually should be very thankful to them because not only are they producing food for us, they are also looking after our ecosystem services. However, the policy has not rewarded or acknowledged them for that. Now we're seeing a change in that, and that's where the status quo of farmers who haven't necessarily been prioritizing it now that's very difficult because that's a total U turn. In emphasis Um, and listen change is difficult for anybody but we have to do it unfortunately it will suit some farmers more than others but it will require change from everybody not just the farmers but in this case it will particularly affect some practices in farming.
0: But we have seen uh, particularly in the last what is it now eight years since the milk quotas were lifted in Ireland and the massive drive towards intensification and off other you know less intensive farming practices like suckler and, and all of that and towards you know the most intensive dairy farming and i think even if you drive around the country and you look into fields like there's was incredible uh, herds of ca- of cattle now uh on farms that you wouldn't have seen 10 years ago because of the milk quotas like national policy has been to encourage young farmers in particular to invest heavily, borrow heavily and, and develop these very, very big, very intensive farming methods and, and farms. And it's very hard to turn around to those people now who have young families in many cases who are supporting parents and say, Lads, this, you know, we're on the wrong train here. We've got to get off it. Yeah, I think it's a huge failure of policymakers. And I actually think it's a huge failure of the
1: farming representatives who have pushed for this without looking at the bigger picture and without actually considering or communicating the repercussions. You know, they knew this was going to happen with the nitrates derogation 10 years ago. I've spoken to so many people about it and everybody that I've spoken to has said the writing has been on the wall. If that wasn't communicated to farmers well enough, then there's a lot of people to blame for that
0: here. But it's still not being communicated, uh, Even Like we we had it in studio the other night. They're still talking about dragging over the commissioner from Europe, uh, you know, to, to, to the European commissioner and kind of somehow talking him into letting us, you know, hold on to this derogation. No, And, and I'm, I'm I'm moving away from
1: recommendations of the assembly and what the assembly have said here. But I've been in a lot of different rooms now since taking on this role. And it's very interesting to hear what happens in conversations behind closed doors and what happens in conversations that are on radio and on television. And with that, I do not think that there are I do not think that all of the representatives are being genuine um, in what they say and, and, and
0: what they say publicly. Um, but but I do think that what we have. I, sorry, are you saying, just to be clear, you're saying that privately they're acknowledging that the jig is up in terms of, for, for instance, the nitrates derogation? Uh, listen, it'll depend on who you're speaking to in this regard.
1: But in conversations that I've been hearing, you know, this is well known. I'm new to this, but this apparently has been well known from the beginning and that now the conversations are definitely moving towards an emphasis on nature services, those ecosystem services, water purification, et cetera. We've seen that now in the cap reform that's come in in January, even though it's very much diluted to what Europe wanted as to what is happening in Ireland, but there is a great change in it. We see the new acre scheme. You know, we have great examples like the Burren Project and the Bride Project that can be upscaled. You know, we see really good work that's happening in farmers, peer-to-peer learning with discussion groups, and we need to be supporting elements like that. And um, I think there's great examples of work that are going on. And I think the recommendations made by assembly members, who many of them were from farming communities, and we had farmers within that our citizens' assembly as well. But they've made great suggestions in what can be done now on a national scale and uh, to support farmers in this. But I do think the conversation needs to move forward now because we've got to a point where we can no longer maximize the outputs. We have to optimize outputs within environmental boundaries. And I think industry has a huge role to play in this. The agri-food industry need to be part of the conversation in how we can restore and conserve biodiversity. That's also a recommendation made by the assembly members. Um, but this is where we need to be now in our conversations. And
0: I think it's time to be a bit more genuine and
1: realistic about it.
0: Uh, OK, another upfront question very quickly. I'll sneak one in. Uh, give us another number. Two. What is your go to karaoke? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not a great karaoke person, actually. i have much preferred to pick up a guitar. Um, I don't even know. When did I-
0: well, what do you play on the guitar then? What would you play if I said, go on, give us a tune. i play ballads. There, do you know
1: what? Uh, the, mo- the cutest thing is my two-year-old sings Katie now and I actually love it. He, he wants to listen to it every night, so I sing it for him most nights.
0: Oh, the Mary Black song. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I have had that sung to me <laughs> in all sorts of circumstances. Oh, I'm so sorry, years. Katie, I, don't, I didn't
1: even make the connection. <laughs>
0: Uh, But it's a good song. It is a good song. Okay, Uh, I just want to you mentioned the farmers there. And I just I'm interested because you said uh, there was a significant number of people in the in the room at the Citizens Assembly who were from a farming background or from a rural background. What was the what was the the atmosphere there? Like, was there much pushback from that's that side of things? Um,
1: This is where I would love to see more elements of Assemblies and Deliberative Democracy in, seen in public, because the tenets of the Deliberative Democracy process is that everything is open, everything is fair, there is a quality of voice, there is a respect in the work that we do, um, and there's a collegiality. And you imagine that to try and get 99 disparate people together in a room, that that's going to be impossible, but it's not. Because everybody has time to air their perspective and because everybody agrees at the start, I will try and be respectful to other people's views. What happens in the room is that you find gradually that the language becomes more, um, I guess, consensus driven. And so in that room, you know, we had and I, I'm from Mayo. I'm from a rural background. I have seven uncles who are farmers. I've lived. We we weren't farmers ourselves, but I lived on the land. My dad has land. It's all bog. And, you know, we are fisher people. We hunted. We do not anymore. It's a big biodiversity thing. But we, my family did it for generations. Um, but I'm from rural Ireland. And it was important to me that we had that perspective. And over 60 percent of our members were actually from rural Ireland and a lot from farming communities and farmers themselves said as well. In the room, we had people who were climate deniers. We had leaving school students. We had people who finished undergrad. We had unemployed people. We had retired solicitors, um, taxi drivers. It was such a mix of a room that you imagine we're never going to come to agreement. We're never going to come up with something that we're all going to be able to agree on. But the beauty of the deliberative democracy process is that everybody gets a chance to air their views. And then over time, we try and find a middle point where the majority of us can agree on something. And this assembly got so passionate about the work that they were doing that they voted to have an extra weekend. And they also went outside of the usual remit of assemblies because we didn't stay high level with our recommendations. Because the state is in such a has done such a poor job Um, since its inception really of looking after nature and looking after biodiversity they really wanted to recommend very specific sectoral actions and that's why there were 159 and listen at the end of the day you couldn't say that all 99 people agreed on this but in the majority if you look at the votes over 80% of them did and you know we had robust debates and if I can give you one example Katie There was a suggestion that a recommendation should be made, that the Irish public should be encouraged to eat less meat. I was just
0: going to ask you, because that caused a bit of a stir in our studio on Monday night.
1: It caused a stir in our room as well. And another person stood up and said, under no circumstances would I be happy that this be published as a recommendation from this room. And this is at the very end and we when we realize, you know, internationally and globally what it does to the carbon footprint. But also equally that, you know, if we buy local and we buy organic and we support our farmers, that that is also very beneficial. And there is a huge cultural element to Irish people eating meat as part of their day to day food. And so with that, the room agreed that the wording would be the Irish public should have a more plant based diet. Now, that got the lowest vote. It was the lowest vote of all of the recommendations because it only got 56% people voting for it. Why? Because more people wanted a a stronger version to say eat less meat and other people did not agree with it at all. And it was the one contentious recommendation.
0: Is that not the the, the absolute epitome of an Irish solution to an Irish problem that you would have a line saying Uh, consume a more plant-based diet when we really mean eat less meat. But no,
1: actually, because, you know, nutritionally, we should be eating more fruits and vegetables. And it's not saying eat less meat, but it's saying eat more fruits and vegetables. And perhaps an outcome of that would be that you'd be so full from your fruits and vegetables, maybe that you end up eating less meat. But that is, it's cultural. And we have to remember that our solutions have to be cultural and they have to acknowledge the society that they're in. And that's what this Citizens Assembly
0: came up with. Very quickly, it, there was, as you say, a huge number of recommendations came out of that citizens assembly. It's a, you know it's a massive, massive area and a huge amount to be done. If you were to kind of pinpoint the the priority, you know, the one thing, the first thing we should be doing, the main thing we should be doing, what would it be? And
1: um, you know, I, I get asked this a lot, and I am loath to highlight specific recommendations because there's really things that can be done at the you know click of a finger. But I think the emphasis needs to be particularly on making this a priority and at the very least enacting our own laws. We are breaking our own laws consistently in terms of protecting nature. And so if we just enacted our own laws and our own legislation by resourcing the people who need to look after that, and that's the National Parks and Wildlife Services, the various local authorities, the NGOs who are doing great work in that, the community groups, um, and prioritizing it within departments in government, you know climate action is everywhere, but if that unit were climate action and biodiversity, that would be great and if we had an independent agency like the EPA but actually focused on biodiversity, so if the MPs status was raised and maybe brought into department environment,
0: they would be structurally really important things to do uh, okay uh, I have a quick fire question round for you uh. Before we do that, though, I want to ask you one thing. It's not related to the uh, Citizens Assembly, but you came into my head this week because of that big debate that has blown up because of the revelations around Russell Brand. And and online, you see so many women coming forward again and talking about situations that they have, uh, you know, had to deal with in their workplaces and you know power imbalances and sexual harassment uh, being introduced into that scenario and of course you you have been there and you've been public about it before and you've got you've had your apology now from UCD uh, for how they handled or mishandled your experiences and your complaints about when you were being sexually harassed by a professor in UCD that debate that has blown up again this week like what would you say in relation to that I don't know what you can say succinctly to it Katie Um, I guess
1: when this comes up again what I'm very mindful of are women that I know have had experiences that don't feel that they can ever report it and that is people who this has happened to in the workplace and this is women who have been raped that don't ever feel like they can report it and it's it's all of the sexual harassment experiences that I think every single girl and woman that I know has had at some point or other but you never felt like you should bother telling anyone about it or even talking about it and so in one way I guess you know it's a good thing because it shines a light on it what I hope it starts is more conversations around consent I think you know we need to be having that as families I have two sons I will start consent Conversations with them and actually already have, now that I'm being honest about it, you know, you don't go and kiss somebody, but you have to ask them first, just very simple things like that. Similarly, so I don't ask my children to kiss anybody if they don't want to, they will do it, you know. So, I guess it's just things um, to think about more clearly. But I think when we're talking and thinking about our teenagers, that we have those consent conversations with them. I know it's coming into all of the universities in Ireland now that when you start university, you have consent training, I think it's very necessary. Um, but I just hope that those victims feel like they have some sort of justice is the wrong word, but that they feel in some way a healing from having talked about it. But I mean, it, it's horrifying. It won't be the only case. It certainly won't be the only high profile case Um it's terrible that we have to talk about it. But I, I'm I'm actually really grateful for those women who came forward to talk about it because it takes a lot out of you, but it's very necessary.
0: I just it strikes me that we're what is so shocking in terms of the, the talk around it. For me, just in the last week is the number of people still still saying, oh, you know, why didn't they go to the police? Why are they going to journalists? Uh, why didn't they tell people at the time? That there is still this, it seems to me, complete misunderstanding of, you know, the very obvious reasons why and why it is so, you know, there are only there are not that many people who would have done what you were, you know, you felt able to do, which, you know, was to push it as far as you had to push it. Like you did do all those things, but you had to go really, really far to actually, you know, get to that apology at the end of the day. yeah
1: Well, and I will say, you know, I did go to the guards about my case. After a while, because for a while, I didn't think it was even something that was, you know, that I could bring to the guards. Um, And the guards were wonderful. And so I will say that. But this is kind of, in one way, I would make a connection with talking about climate and biodiversity. You're never going to convince everybody. You know, there's no point in trying to convince some people. And so you just, you know, people will have their opinions and let them have their opinions. And that's totally fine. These are conversations that take time. Um, And I've said the same about climate and biodiversity. These are conversations that take time. And in one way, citizens assemblies are great because they start the kitchen table conversations from equality and marriage, from the repeal the ACE to the gender equality um, assembly and, and the referendum to remove that clause from our constitution. They're kitchen table conversations. And I think the conversation around consent needs to also become that kitchen table conversation. How are you now? <laughs> Thank you. I'm fine. Um, thankfully, I'm 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 fine. You know, you move on. It does really affect you. It totally affects your opinions uh, of yourself in work and your opinions of work as well. I must say. Um, but I have had really great support uh, from friends, family, and um, from colleagues. Um, and and a lot of work has been done, which is great. Do you know, we've seen a lot of changes now in higher education institutes across the board. And I think Minister Simon Harris did a great job in incorporating it into funding applications that you have to now acknowledge and, you know, um, say that, you know, everybody who's on this team adheres to this and has not, you know, committed any um, acts of sexual harassment, et cetera, and won't. And um, so it's has brought into all of um, those elements of uh, higher education. There's still a lot of work to do. I'm not going to say everything's been solved. And absolutely for undergraduate experiences, I don't think we've got there yet and I think there's a lot of work to do yet. Um but you know, little by little and that's with with all of these things. I guess little by little we we just have to be patient. But if I can bring this back around now back to nature, we actually don't have the time when it comes to nature and biodiversity. Um you know we can do all these lovely initiatives at primary school and secondary school we can't wait until they get to a level where they can make policy and uh, we need to be doing it now and we need to be doing it now for ourselves and for the future generations if i can take something that we heard about from japanese and indian cultures we do things now for seven generations time, it's cathedral thinking. And we had Manko McGann in and he made those connections for us in Ireland with all of the beautiful phraseology name places that we have that all connect with nature and it's to get back to that, to get back to respecting nature um, and to, to holding it close um, as, as something that we rely on and are part of. So I'm really hopeful that the recommendations made by the Citizens Assembly Will be enacted at the highest level, and I'm very positive in that. I can see it's already being enacted at, at levels lower down. People are reading it and going, "I can do
0: that." Okay, okay. Five quick fire questions. Okay. Before, uh, <laughs> are you Are you ready? Go on. Uh, okay, I suppose we should say we just we do these just to find out a little bit more okay. about uh, how our guests take it. So, um, uh, very quickly, your death row meal.
1: Oh so bad at this game oh right now uh, in my pregnancy i'm not actually not enjoying anything no food is is helpful so uh I'd, so ginger tea yeah, i even hate that at the moment as well but i'm drinking it <laughs> i'm so bad at this game this is terrible what would i absolutely love but i don't know do you know what i miss sushi if I <laughs> if I was on death row now, that's what I'd eat. Sushi, because I can't eat it at the moment.
0: <laughs> okay, okay, sushi. Um, how long does it take you to get ready?
1: Like it can take me five minutes, because I usually have two boys going, Mommy, are you ready yet? Uh if I have the luxury of time, I'll flounce around for about 40
0: minutes. So depending on. Uh favorite holiday?
1: My favorite holiday, uh probably one of the early holidays, actually the first holiday I took with my husband and uh, we went to see the Northern Lights in Iceland
0: for my birthday. Oh. So I think it's very romantic. We we're only like four very romantic. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, read a book or scroll the timeline before bed. Oh,
1: please read a book. But um, again, because I'm not feeling very well at the moment, I'm not doing that. I'm just listening to podcasts,
0: but books,
1: absolutely. Uh,
0: what age do you want to retire at? Uh,
1: if, listen, if I could retire now, I would. I um, would. But I don't know, like I do actually love working now that I say that as well. We're probably all going to have to work till we're 70. So I'll just be realistic about that and just say 70.
0: OK, uh, even thank you so much. That was so such an informative and actually kind of scary <laughs> uh, chat. But uh, we really, really appreciate it. It's great that we have people like yourself, uh, you know, on the. Calm side of this, getting the word out because uh, clearly we need the word out there. Thanks, Katie. But don't be
1: scared, act instead.
0: And that was Evie Nihulon. Don't forget to tune in on Monday night to Upfront on RT1 and on the RT Player. Thank you, and we'll see you then.